Hey guys, welcome to the Off the Bench podcast. This is episode number four. I am super excited. Our first three episodes have gone smoothly. We've had some guests. We've had some really good topics. I've had a number of you guys reach out and tell me um, some positive things from the pod. So I really, really appreciate that. Guys, keep that coming. Keep those DMs um, at me on Twitter. If you guys like what you're hearing, retweet all those good things. Guys, we have some NFL to talk about here today, some week two stuff, and we also have a special guest on the pod today, somebody who's never been on, Cole Rabideau. Cole is a longtime friend of mine. We met when we were seven, eight years old, uh, played high school ball together, been friends for around 15 years now, and when you're only 22, that's actually quite the feat to be friends with somebody for 15 years. That's been me and Cole um, ever since peewee football on the gridiron, we became friends Let's see, Cole is going to be talking about some NBA today, as well as some college basketball, and he is super knowledgeable. You guys are going to love what Cole has to say. I'm super excited to have him on. But yeah, guys, here we go. Episode number four, getting underway. So I'm willing to bet that we all know somebody in our lives who is the quote unquote, the life of the party. And these people... These people are awesome. They they come into our lives, um, maybe when we least expect it. They tend to bring some energy. They light up a room. Um, these people are special people. They have a gift. They are the life of the party. And of course, it, it doesn't have to be a you know a party. That's just the saying. It, it can be you know a staff, a team, um, an event, anything like that. And that same person will be able to bring energy that simply was not there before. And it's just something intrinsic inside of them that they are just able to get people going and get people moving and just bring the energy that simply was not there to begin with. These people are gifted in a lot of ways. And guys, you, you see this in football a lot, um, specifically at the quarterback position. And I got a, a quick story for you guys. My view changed on the quarterback position from my freshman year of college to my sophomore year. This is when I believe that I personally begin to recognize um, the true amazing value of, of what a quarterback can do for a football team. And it's, it's not just based on talent or um, completion percentage or touchdown throws those things obviously you want all those things but that's not that's not it there's more to it so freshman year of college not going to get into any of these two guys personalities or anything they're both great guys um that's not the point the point is freshman year of college we had a talented football team um pretty much the same football team as as my sophomore year of college yet we lose we we lost some key guys that, that always happens. You always lose some key seniors. So I'm not saying we didn't lose anybody, but it was it was pretty much the same team my freshman year and my sophomore team. My sophomore year, excuse me. My freshman year we had a senior quarterback. He was he was okay. I he was an okay quarterback. He wasn't terrible, but he, he wasn't really good. And um we were like a four and six football team. And we just knew that our offense was going to struggle at times. And defensively, that's hard when you just know that your offense is, is going to struggle. When you get a huge stop and the other team's offense is humming. And on defense, you, you get this big time stop and you're psyched. And you you force a punt only to realize that four plays later, you're going to be back on the field. Because your offense is going to go three and out. And that's... That's to a certain extent what happened when I was a freshman. Now, our offense wasn't that horrible, uh, but they struggled at times. There's no doubt. My sophomore year, things changed. We got a new kid. That old guy graduated. We brought in a freshman, really quality quarterback, really good quarterback. Guys, it changed the whole outlook of our football team. It changed everything. Our offense was able to score points. They were able to move the football up and down the field. 
And because of that, it sort of lit a fire in our defense that just wasn't there before. And I can't really blame our defense for not having it before because just the lack of energy, you know that even if you get a huge stop, you're just going to be back on the field in another four or five plays. And so what this quarterback did for even our defense was was just amazing. It And it's tough to put into words. Our defense all of a sudden was playing harder. We were taking more risks, trying to create turnovers, sending more blitzes, just because we knew that even if we roll the dice and were wrong, that we have a quarterback who can actually consistently move the football, complete passes, and uh, put us in scoring positions. Guys, and, and that's that's the difference. That's the difference. And it can happen two ways. It can happen with play, or it can happen with the quarterback's personality. Now, in this case, I'm, I'm specifically talking about play. But oftentimes in football, we see that saying, come to life. This person is the life of the party. He or she brings the energy. Guys, that's what happens at the quarterback position in the game of football. It means so much more than you can quantify. You can quantify completion percentage, um, you know, touchdown to interception ratio. You can you can quantify a ton of things at the quarterback position, but you can't quantify the energy that it brings to your football team. Okay, and I think we're seeing that around the NFL right now. We are seeing guys who are the life of the party, so to speak, step into their football team and reinvigorate the entire team. Okay, and I'll, I, have, I have four guys specifically. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on each. The first one we saw yesterday was Justin Herbert. Guys, and if you saw this last week, Tyrod Taylor started at quarterback for the Chargers last week, and I'm a Tyrod Taylor fan. Guys, I think he's a pro's pro. I think he's a good football player. But we watched them last week play Cincinnati. And they put up like 13 points, maybe 16. I can't remember. But they were inept offensively. They couldn't move the ball. It was a struggle the entire game. And Cincinnati's defense isn't good. We just saw the Browns drop like 35 on them. Okay, so you can't move the ball against Cincinnati. There's a problem. And the Chargers have a ton of weapons offensively. Their O-line is a little bit better this year than last year. Okay, they're patched up a little bit. They have amazing weapons on the outside. Two quality running backs. Keenan Allen and and Mike Williams, those guys are ballers out of the receiver position. They couldn't move the ball last week with Tyrod Taylor. This week, they get the ball in. And uh, just before kickoff, actually, they find out Justin Herbert's starting. And this team looks reinvigorated versus the Super Bowl champions, nonetheless. They're playing the Chiefs, who are a better football team than them. They can move the ball down the field. Their defense looks on fire. Guys, their defense made Pat Mahomes uncomfortable the whole day. And their defense is good, nonetheless, guys. But I'm willing to put money on the fact that they had more confidence and they had more energy knowing that Justin Herbert was their starter. They just felt like they had a chance. They just felt like there was newness in the air. There was energy. Okay, Justin Herbert was the quote-unquote life of the party yesterday for the San Diego Chargers. Excuse me, LA Chargers. I'm still mad they moved, by the way. Okay, so that's what a quarterback can do. Another example, we have we have Joe Burrow. Guys, Cincinnati is terrible. You guys recognize that, right? They are an awful football team. Very few weapons. Defensively, they are horrible. But Joe Burrow is keeping them in football games. Guys, week one, they played the Chargers, who are a vastly superior football team talent-wise, and Joe Burrow kept him in the game the whole time. Just this past week on Thursday night, we all watched it. They played the ultra-talented Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow was getting lit up by their defense. They only lost by five. They were in it at the end of the game. 
Okay, that's what Joe Burrow can do. He's the life of the party for their football team. He's bringing energy to the Cincinnati Bengals that was not there before. Last year, they got blown out so many times. He's the life of that football team. He's the life preserver holding that team together. Another guy, Kyler Murray. Okay, and I know he's in his second year, but this dude's an absolute baller. Um, what he does with his ability to make plays, it, guys, I can't describe what it does for your football team. You drop an offensive play, you scheme a guy open, blah, blah, blah. You, you try, you do all these things throughout the week. But when you throw it in on game day, sometimes crap just hits the fan and it doesn't work out. Okay, but when you have a guy like Kyler Murray who, who can just make a play out of nothing and score a touchdown on a random scramble, that does so much for your football team. It builds so much confidence for the guys calling plays, for their offensive line, for their receivers. For the defense, it takes so much pressure off, guys, because the guy calling the offensive play no longer has to say, gosh, I have to call the right play. This guy has to be open or else we're not going to be able to move the ball. He can just relax, call a play, scheme a guy open. Maybe he's not open and he just knows he has that security blanket that Kyler Murray has a chance to make something happen. Okay, one more guy. You guys are going to laugh at me. Gardner Minshew. Guys, I thought the Jags were going to be the worst team in football this year. They shipped everybody out of town. That team that made it to the AFC Championship game last year, or two years ago, whatever it was, they're gone. They're not the same team. But Gardner Minshew comes in. This is a team I thought was going to be the worst in football, and he is competitive. The dude is bawling. He's throwing for like three, 400 yards, some touchdowns. He's taking care of the football. He's keeping plays alive. Guys, Gardner Minshew is legit. This team should be horrible. They should win like three games this season. But they're going to be competitive. And they're going to win maybe five or six games. Because Gardner Minshew is the life of the party for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Never thought I'd say that, but it's true. Guys, being prepared in life is so important in almost everything. There's very few things that you can just go out and do in life. You have to be prepared in almost every circumstance. And I got a couple examples. When I was in college earning my education degree, they make you do a ton of things before they give you your degree. Guys, I had to do like over 200 hours in the classroom throughout my four years. Um, I had to get 100 badge hours. And I had to do all that before I could even student teach. And then you student teach every single day for 15, 16 weeks. And then you can get your degree if you do well enough. And that's what I'm saying, guys. This is complete preparation. Before they say you can go out and teach kids in a classroom by yourself, you have to do all of these things. And these are very important. And I don't think they're wrong for this. It, it might be a little bit too many hours in the classroom if you ask me, but I'm a student who had to do them. And so that's part of the reason why I think that way. And, and that's good for multiple reasons. It makes sure that you're prepared. So when you get in a classroom with these kids, you know what you're doing. And you're not just taking, you know, people's children and um, underachieving with them. And then it also helps you out as the college student because you have to do so much in the classroom before they give you your degree. So there's almost no way that you get to the end of it and you realize that you don't want to teach anymore. You spend so much time in the classroom that you've... You get like halfway through it or a quarter way through it and you kind of go, okay, well, I guess I don't really think I want to do this anymore. And then you might change your major or do whatever else. Okay, so they give you a ton of time to recognize if this is what you want to do for a living. Okay, guys, driving is another example. You have to spend so many hours um, driving the car. You got to go to driver's education. You got to take so many 
um, drives in driver's ed. You got to take written tests. You got to pass driving tests. And then finally, once you get to the end, you actually have to do it for the state too. You have to pass the state driving test and the state written test. And this is very important for obvious reasons. We don't want people driving who don't know how to drive and aren't prepared. You can see how that's important. And guys, here's where I'm tying this back in. We need this in football as well. We can't just not be prepared in football as well. And guys, this is where I think preseason games are important and are undervalued. Because this whole offseason, I was hearing, well, we're getting rid of preseason. And it was more of how that can affect the game. And I think when you look on this past Sunday... And you see the injury report from around the league. This is where this becomes huge. So in the preseason, guys, preseason gets a bad rap because it doesn't count. And I get it. It should get a bad rap for a lot of different reasons. But guys, it's important to warm up. And it's important to sort of ramp yourself up to 100% too fully prepared for NFL football. And I I really do think that's what we're seeing with all of these injuries around the league. Normally in preseason, you start your starters playing maybe a quarter, and then, you know, maybe they play a half. And if they're veterans, maybe they don't play that much at all. But these guys need to get ready to play NFL football at full speed. Otherwise, there's going to be issues. So when you just go from practicing, and practicing is not the same these days, Okay, at the college or the NFL level. They almost never tackle. So when you go straight from practice to playing a full-speed regular season NFL game, your body is not prepared. And I think that's where we're seeing all these NFL injuries. Guys, just taking a look at the injury report out for the season. Saquon Barkley, Von Miller, Nick Bosa, Derwin James, Tivon Young, CJ Uzuma, don't know if I said that right. Cortland Sutton and I think Malik Hooker. Guys, will likely miss some time is Christian McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, Drew Locke, Jimmy Garoppolo, A.J. Brown, Sterling Shepard. And then you have a guy like Tyrod Taylor and Paris Campbell who are waiting on waiting on sort of, you know, a diagnosis. And that's not even everybody. That's just people that I see on this tweet right here. I know there's a couple more at least. Um, guys, this is a problem. And I, I directly translate this problem to the NFL not having preseason games because we're at the point here where they're just going full speed out of nowhere. They're ramping up from zero to 100 way too quickly. And this is where you see these soft, soft tissue injuries happening. And guys, this is important and preseason, all I heard all offseason was preseason is only important because you need the guys to find a rhythm. And preseason is only important for the coaching staff so they can evaluate these undrafted rookies and, you know, second-year fringe players and stuff like that. That's the only reason that preseason is important. But guys, I think in week two here, when we sit down and we look at all these injuries... And this ginormous injury report, we're sort of seeing that preseason may be important for another reason. And that's because they play warm-up football for a reason. This stuff actually is important. Okay, and I'm not saying we need to go back to four preseason games. I think that might be overkill. Give them two. Give every team a home preseason game. Let the players, the starters are the ones who play the whole game. Okay, so I know you play preseason a lot for the backups and see who's going to make the team, but we need to think about the starters playing more in preseason. Maybe play, you know, three or four series the the first game. Second game, maybe play, you know, a half or something like that. I don't know. Each team can decide. But this is why this is important, because you can't go from just practicing to playing a all-out regular season football game. It just, those two things don't translate. That's not enough of a warm-up period. Okay, so I think what you're seeing in the NFL with all these injuries 
is guys are coming in unprepared. And that's affecting guys' livelihoods. That's affecting these guys physically for the rest of their lives. A torn ACL isn't always, oh, just, you know, he's out nine months and then he's back right in there, same as, same as new. That's not what a torn ACL is, guys. It affects you for the rest of your life. Okay, so I think, I think we needed preseason. And I think this is showing why we needed preseason. And I don't think that we can just undervalue that from here moving forward. I think it's important. Okay, guys, new game this week. Special for um, post-week two. And I was trying to think of a funny name for this, like a pun. I couldn't really think of one, so you're just going to get a basic, um, boring name for this game for post-week two. I'm sorry about that, but I couldn't think of anything special. Um, and it's just going to be 2-0 and or 0-2. and Am I surprised or am I not surprised? Okay, so I'm going to go through all the teams, 2-0 and or 0-2, and tell you surprised or not surprised. And guys, if you could think of a funny pun for that name, for a game like that, just hit me up. Tell me what you think, because I might do this if, if teams are 3-0 and and 0-3 next week, and I have a you know another pun for that one. But guys, again, if your team is 1-1, one one, um, I'm not going to talk about them. Okay, this is special 2-0 and or 0-2. So 1-1 one one teams are disqualified from this game. Okay, guys, first one is the Buffalo Bills. I'm not surprised they're 2-0. They played like the Jets and the Dolphins their first two weeks, and I give them credit because you've got to win your division games. Okay, so I give them credit, but those teams are not very good. And um, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. The Jets, 0-2. Guys, the Jets are horrible. They're, they're horrible. They're the worst team in the league. Maybe them or the Giants. The two New York teams are just awful. Okay, so I'm not surprised at all. Miami... Yeah, I'm not surprised that they're they're 0 and 2 either. Um they played New England and then Buffalo their first two weeks. I would be shocked if they won either one of those games really. Um I want to see if they can get two in there pretty quick here. Okay, Baltimore 2 and 0. Not surprised. They're the best team in football. Guys, the dangerous the most dangerous combination in sports is if you're talented and you're hungry. Um and Baltimore is both right now. They're the most talented team in football, if you ask me. Top to bottom, they have like zero holes on their roster. And they're hungry. Um, After that honestly embarrassing loss last season in the playoffs, they're very hungry. And they're led by Lamar Jackson, who is maybe the most talented and the most hungry out of anybody on that team. Guys, they're going to win the Super Bowl this year, if you ask me. I'm not surprised they're 2-0 at all. They play uh, the Chiefs next Monday night, though. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be a doozy. I'm excited for that one. <clears throat> Pittsburgh, 2-0. Guys, I- I'm not really that surprised. Just by looking at their schedule, they played the the Giants and then, what was it, Denver their first two weeks. They should win those two games. Cincinnati, 0-2. I'm, I'm not surprised. Guys, Cincinnati is, is terrible. Like we talked about just beforehand, um, they're awful. Joe Burrow is going to you know, make some plays and maybe keep them in some ball games, but they're an awful team. Not surprised they're 0-2. Tennessee, 2-0. Um, I'm, you know, I can't really say I'm surprised just because I, I do think that they're going to take a small step back this season, like not go to the AFC Championship game, but I'm not surprised that they're 2-0 just because they played who did they play? Denver week one, Monday night, and then they played Jacksonville. I mean, they should win those two games. You know, I, I do think they will take a step back this season, though. They might win their division, but I can't see them making the AFC championship game again. Um, let's see, Houston, 0-2. I'm, I'm going to say I'm surprised because in the past, this has been a team that consistently has been making um, runs in the playoffs, winning a game or two. Um, they've been winning their division for the past couple of years. So I'm, I, I'm in a way surprised that they're 0-2, but at the same time, when you look at their first two games and they have to play the Chiefs and the Ravens, I mean, that's brutal. 
the Chiefs 2-0. I'm, I'm not surprised. This is a talented team. Um, just talking about Houston, I, they played Houston week one. They took care of business. Um, they definitely should have lost to the Chargers the other day, yesterday. But you know how that works. They didn't lose. So <clears throat> the Chargers kind of give up give up games all the time. They outplay you, then they just lose it at the end. That's pretty that's pretty much ingrained into the Chargers DNA. Denver 0 and 2. Um I was kind of rooting for Denver a little bit this year to get back in it because I think when the Broncos are are good, I think that's good for the NFL. They're just one of those franchises. But guys, when they played the Steelers week 1 and then they played No, they played the Steelers week 2. Yeah, Steelers week two. Who'd they play week one? Tennessee. And yeah, I guess I'm not that surprised, guys. I mean, I yeah, I wouldn't really expect them to win either of those games. Uh, let's see. New York Giants 0-2. I'm not surprised. This is a terrible football team. Not shocked at all. Um, I expect them to win three games this season. They're awful. Maybe more because their division's terrible. Um, Philadelphia, 0-2. I am surprised. Philadelphia, I thought, was going to be um, a really good football team this year. And I thought they were um, going to be right there with Dallas to win this division. And and maybe they will be. It's only week two. you know. But they look terrible their first two games. Um, you can't lose to Washington, guys. You just can't lose to Washington. Um, I think Washington has potential to be good in the future, but that's the future, and this is right now. And they were terrible against Washington. And then, guys, I, the Rams are good. I think the Rams are a good football team. But at the same time, it, that game wasn't all that competitive. I know the score was closer than you might think, but just watching that game, it felt like the Rams had control virtually the whole time. Carson Wentz looks broken. I don't know what's wrong with him. Um, Green Bay 2-0. Um, I'm going to say I'm surprised. And maybe I should have seen this coming. It's not that Green Bay's not good. They went 13-3 and last year. Of course they're good. I thought they might take a step back this season. Um, just because I think that was a terrible playoff loss by the 49ers last year. And then with them drafting Jordan Love, I just thought that this organization was going to struggle. And I thought they were in shambles a little bit. Um, but Aaron Rodgers is proving that he is that dude. Um, him and Russell Wilson are my my early um, two weeks in MVPs of this season. Rodgers has just been balling. And, I mean, granted, they did. They played two terrible teams in Minnesota and Detroit to start the season. So maybe they will cool off. But, I mean, when you play a bad team, you're supposed to beat them handily. And that's what Green Bay has done. So props to them. I'm and I'm a bit surprised. Chicago 2-0. I'm a bit surprised. I think they're going to be a bad team. Um and they're one of those teams I talked about earlier, um a quarterback being the life of the party for you. I I honestly think Chicago needs some of that. Trubisky uh, I think he's bad and he tends to light up bad defenses and play really good against bad defenses. And I think that's what happened. He played, did they play the Giants, I think? And they're a terrible defense, and he lit them up. So good for him. Um, but, yeah, I am surprised they're 2-0. Minnesota 0-2. This is my biggest surprise. I th- I thought that Minnesota was going to win this division this year. But it turns out they look absolutely awful. Um, their defense is terrible. You know, I know they had to replace some guys, but they still have two of the best safeties in football and a defensive-minded head coach who's really good. Zimmer's a really good coach. And I just did not see them going 0-2. I figured they'd be able to, you know, fix something on their on their defense. They can't run the ball at all. Last year, that's what they did was they ran the ball successfully, by the way, controlled a lot of games that way. But they have not been able to run the ball. It's been bad. Kirk Cousins looks awful. They need, you know, a new life of the party, so to speak, a quarterback in Minnesota. They're terrible. They should have signed Cam, now that I think about it. Uh, Detroit, 0-2. Not surprised. It's Detroit. Um, that's enough said. 
Let's see. New Orleans plays tonight, and they play... Who is it? They play Las Vegas, who is also 1-0. I'm just going to say if Las Vegas goes 2-0, this is before the Monday night game, guys. This is Monday morning. So I'm just going to give my prediction there. If Las Vegas goes 1-0, or 2-0, excuse me, I would be surprised. Um, I, I do not expect them to beat New Orleans. So I expect them to go 1-1. One if New Orleans goes 2-0, I'm, I'm not surprised. They played Tampa Bay, brand new quarterback, brand new situation there. I'd, I expected them to, to beat Tampa Bay last week, and I expect them to beat uh, the Raiders tonight. So I would not be surprised if New Orleans went 2-0. I would be surprised if the Raiders went 2-0, though. Let's see. Atlanta 0-2. Guys, Atlanta is just, they're never going to recover from from that 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I hate to say it because this is a talented squad, but they're never going to recover. Um, not until they get a new coach. Not until, I don't know, they maybe just need to burn it to the ground and start over. I, I don't know. But that that's just something that's going to be ingrained into their DNA um, until they make some serious changes. So I'm not surprised that they're 0-2. Let's see, Carolina, 0-2. I'm not surprised. Um, I, I believe in Teddy Bridgewater. I think that this team isn't going to make a wild card, but I think they'll be right there, potentially fighting for a spot, a wild card spot. Um, but now that McCaffrey's out, I guess, I don't know. With McCaffrey out, I, I don't see them fighting for a wild card spot now that I think about it. Um, but I think Teddy is is a capable quarterback, and I... Honestly, I think they should have had a chance to go 1-1 one one rather than 0-2. The Cardinals, 2-0. Um, I'm going to say not surprised. And, look, I get what you're saying. They played San Francisco last week. San Fran, you think on paper, should win that game. But San Francisco was beat up very badly in training camp. So um, Arizona playing just a beat-up San Francisco team, that's what... That's what makes me not surprised. And this is also an Arizona Cardinals team that gave San Fran a lot of trouble last year. And guys, I think it's just Kyler Murray. He's just going to give teams problems. I'm not very excited to watch Seattle play them, to be completely honest. Um, that's not going to be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull my hair out watching that game. The LA Rams, 2-0. Um, guys, this was a team that's two years removed from a Super Bowl. Um, Sean McVay did not just suddenly become not smart. Um, Jared Goff didn't suddenly become horrible. Okay, this is... They, they are too top-heavy, in my opinion. Their defense can make some improvements. I mean, obviously, they have those two superstars with Donald and Ramsey. And those two are some of the best in the game. But I think other than that, their defense can can struggle at times. This is another team that I'm I'm not very excited to see the Seahawks play. Just yeah, I mean I'm not gonna have fun. Those team those two teams tend to just go at it. This division is is the toughest in football, the NFC West in my opinion, and they're gonna beat up on each other. Uh, the Seahawks two and zero. I'm I'm not surprised just because I think they're a Super Bowl contender. And I think they're really good. And I think Russell Wilson's the best player in football. So I'm not I'm not surprised that they're 2-0. But at the same time, guys, I, like I just said, I think they're a Super Bowl contender. As of now, I, they can't win the Super Bowl unless they improve their pass rush. And you saw last night in that night game versus the Patriots, that final drive, they, they just could not get any sort of pressure on Cam Newton unless they brought extra guys. When they're bringing four, it's not good enough right now. And uh, we'll see about Bruce Irvin. He got injured. He's a guy who can provide some pressure, certainly. Um, some of those other guys, they unless they improve, they can't win the Super Bowl, in my opinion, because you're going to end up playing guys in the NFC like Aaron Rodgers, um, like Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, Drew Brees, if you cannot get pressure on these guys, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your defense is, they'll end up torching you. And then if they were to somehow get through all those guys without pressure, 
um, then they would have to play like Pat Mahomes or um, Lamar Jackson. And you have to pressure those guys. Guys, you cannot win a Super Bowl with a very pedestrian defensive line. And calling them pedestrian is, is nice at this point. Okay, so that's my little take on the Seahawks. I'm sorry, I spent more time on them than the rest of the teams. But I'm a fan, so what are you going to do? Hey guys, welcome to the interview portion of the pod. I'm super excited to have Cole Rabideau on today. Cole is a longtime friend of mine. We met when we were really young. I'm, I'm going to say around seven or eight years old. And a uh, funny quick story about Cole. Cole was always just like this really cool kid. And we played football together, peewee football. And I was intimidated by Cole's coolness in a way and I didn't want to ask him to hang out or like be friends or anything because I thought he was just way too cool for me and then somewhere along the line um, Cole asked me if I wanted to hang out and uh, that's kind of when our friendship took off we played peewee sports together um, oftentimes on the same team sometimes on different teams Cole's just he's a guy who always made me a better athlete and uh, I think I pushed him along the way as well um yeah we were just awesome friends all the way up until now 22 years old let's see probably 15 years in running um cole you want to say hi hey sean how you doing thanks for having me on the pod uh i really love what you've done with the past three episodes so when you asked me to get on i was super excited yeah hey thanks cole um yeah so again cole was he he just finished his college basketball career and he's going to be moving on to um be a ga at houston which is an awesome accomplishment um, Cole, do you have some just some thoughts about your career as a college basketball player? I, you were extremely accomplished, in my opinion. Had um, a, an awesome college basketball career. Started at the JUCO level and then and then onward. Yeah, like you said, I started off at Peninsula College up in Port Angeles, Washington. Played a year there. Um, was expecting to play too, but was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to go out to Eau Claire, a smaller school out in western Wisconsin. And I uh, finished the remainder of my career out there and couldn't have asked for a better place to land and uh, really enjoyed my time playing. Yeah. Cole, did you, um, and you moved in kind of with some extended family, is that right? Yeah, my grandma and my two uncles live out there. And so I lived with my grandma for two years. And then my senior year, I moved in with some teammates. But it was really nice having some structure out there so far away from home with some family. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a that's a blessing for sure. So you're going to be a GA this this next coming basketball season. So not not this one right right here, but next year is that right? Yep. So I'm going to be home until April, May, and then I'll be uh moving down to Houston to start uh my GA job. So you know, really excited for that. Wish I could have went straight out of college, but you know, I'm just fortunate enough to have that position down at Houston under coach Sampson. So I'm really excited to get going on that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, in my opinion, Cole belongs in coaching. Uh, his his dad was a longtime coach, and just being an athlete like he is, I, I can tell he's got a passion for it. So I'm excited to see what, what Cole does and where he goes under this GA position at um, University of Houston. So that's going to be awesome. Um, so what what's going on with college basketball? I Cole was just saying he listens to a bunch of podcasts on, on college ball when he's at work and stuff. Um, just with the uncertainty with, with Corona and just some of those other things going on, what do you think that that's going to look like this yeah, season? Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people are, you know, kind of confused as to what the season's going to look like. Um, but fortunate enough, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, Gary Parish on CBS Sports and a whole bunch of other great ones. And so as of now, we have an official start date pin, and that'll be November 25th. And I think they also listed the maximum games that are going to be able to be played are 25 or 27 games somewhere in that area. So, I mean, at least for sure we know that there's going to be college basketball. But what it's going to look like, you know, whether teams are going to choose to go into a bubble and conference or not, you know, that is to be decided. So we'll have to see what happens there. But for sure, I think the high major schools, you know, the Big Ten, Big 12, uh, SEC and the ACC, we're not so sure about the Pac-12 right now, but I think most of those Power 5 conferences are going to be able to get, you know, mid-20, 25 games in, so. 
I'm excited to see that, but at the same time, a little worried for the smaller guys, you know, the mid-major, low-majors who don't exactly have the money for the testing, and so we'll have to see how that goes, but I'm happy that we at least have a start date pinned, and sounds like there's going to be some college basketball. Yeah, that's awesome. I think um, college basketball has been sort of taking a hit the past few years, and I, I am definitely a fan, and I want to see college basketball sort of um, retake its spot right where it belongs up there with college football and, and the NBA and the NFL as those kind of major sports that just mean a lot and have a ton of fans. Um, I think it certainly has the potential to get back up there, and I'm, I'm certainly rooting for it. Yeah. So that's awesome that college ball's yeah. got a, a start date like that. Yeah, so Absolutely. And, you know, we might start the season and not know exactly what the NCAA tournament's going to look like. Um, just last week, I believe, all the ACC coaches held a meeting and they voted to have the NCAA tournament include all 300 plus NCAA teams. And so, I, don't, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how that would work, how if that even makes it better for COVID, you know, having so many teams in one area or multiple sites. So that's one option that's out there. I've heard a lot of opinions on that and how they don't think it will go over so smoothly. But, you know, there's a very good chance that we'll start the season and have no idea exactly what the NCAA tournament's going to look like. And uh, on the same note, we, we won't even know what the start games are going to look like. All these MTE, these multiple team events, you know, like the Maui Invitational and all of these events, we don't know where they're going to take place. I've heard, you know, they might move some to South Dakota and a whole bunch of different areas. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it sounds like there's going to be some basketball. What are, what are some of those thoughts you've been hearing on that as well, far as the tournament goes? I think, first off, the biggest thing is the safety of those players. You know, you don't want to have so many teams and have to go to so many different locations um, just in order to get however many games off. But in addition to that, the seeding, how, how do you seed 300-plus teams, especially when some teams are going to be playing 25 games and these low major schools are going to be playing maybe 15, 20 games. So... I think that's one of the big struggles involved in having a tournament of that size. Yeah, that's really my biggest thought is the seeding because that's a lot of teams and a lot of games to get off. Yeah, for sure. Um, we've seen a little bit in college football so far. Teams like I think it was West Virginia and maybe a couple other teams kind of have to shift their schedules in that way. So I think they're kind of showing that it is possible to be able to sort of absorb some of those COVID-19 tests and blows and maybe just switch around the schedule and it might be rough at times but I think obviously they're going to gear up and, and try to do it which I think is the right yeah, call. Absolutely I think football might have an easier hand dealt to them because you think about the 14 playoff most of them are power five schools anyways but when you're dealing, looking at basketball you have you know some low mid-major schools squeezing the tournament and they rely heavily on those non-conference games and that's another thing I've been hearing a lot about is why would Michigan State go and play, you know, Coastal Carolina when Coastal Carolina hasn't been testing the same as Michigan State or some of these big schools. And so they're just running the risk of, you know, putting their players at risk and all these other things. So I think that's a big battle that some of these smaller schools are going to have to fight. No, that is a good point. How are you going to how are you going to get those mid-major schools and those smaller schools as many opportunities as, as they can to try and get that, get into the NCAA tournament because, Absolutely. you know, obviously they have the, um, the conference winners, like the automatic bid, yep. but in years past, we've seen teams make a splash, those mid-major teams who didn't necessarily win their conference, but they had a really strong year and yeah, maybe absolutely. some power five upsets. So if you don't have those, then yeah, what kind of, what happens to those teams? So that's a really good question. Um, next, I wanted to ask you about, so college basketball seems like one of the reasons that it's sort of taken a hit nationally over the past few years is you have the whole one and done situation, which I, I think most people are fine with the one and done thing at this point. But recently, the past two or three years, you've been seeing um, these big time commits go overseas, play in Australia, um, play over in Europe and stuff like that. And then you see some of these guys this year um, commit to like some G League teams. They're going to play a year in the G League versus some pros and then sort of enter that NBA draft. Yeah, a few. I mean, 
I think the bottom line is these kids are looking out for their best interests. They want to make money playing basketball, and ultimately they want to get to the NBA. Um, so however that route looks for them, good for them. Um, of course, I want to see these top recruits go to college basketball because I love college basketball. I love watching it. But, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is these kids are looking out for their own future. Um, an example is Gonzaga is one of their best players. They sent him home overseas. He's a foreign player. And they had no word from him if he was coming back to play or not. And they found out th through some secondary source that he signed with the international team and wasn't going to return to Gonzaga. So, I mean, colleges are dealing with situations like with that all the time. But um, overall, I think these kids just really care about getting to the league and, you know, making money and making sure there's family is all taken care of. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I can't sit here. I can be upset about it just as a consumer, somebody who wants to watch college basketball. But if you look at it from their point of view, they're totally in the right choosing to, you know, make some money over in Australia or Europe or whatever, play in the G League where their competition's a little bit better. So, I mean, it sucks as a, a consumer, somebody who loves college basketball, but at the same time, I can't sit here and knock them for wanting to make money and, and set up their families. So it's kind of a, a you know, a dicey situation that way. Um, yeah, just with this past college basketball season kind of ending awkwardly, just... I don't even know if they got their conference tournaments in, but, I mean, obviously no yeah, March Madness. And I, think, and I think that plays a little bit into these kids not deciding to go into college, especially for this year, because they want to play. Um, some of these countries that they sign with might be having the season, and they know that for sure is compared to college basketball a month ago. They had no idea if they were going to be playing, and we'd get that exposure to get drafted into the NBA and all this other things. So, um I think that them going overseas is a good opportunity for them just to for sure get some games in and get some exposure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so just, just with this past season ending awkwardly, um, I, I don't know if there's just a true guy who sticks out in the NBA draft this coming season. Like um, in past years, you know, a number of years ago, we had Anthony Davis, and then just this past year with Zion Williamson, you, you kind of have these um, – they're just sort of the obvious number one, maybe number two pick. Is there one of those this season, right. or is it just several guys who are kind of fighting for that potential number one spot right. this year? Well, this draft is not like last year's draft where you had Zion Williams and a clear-cut number one pick if that team who had the first pick didn't take him, they're crazy. Right. This year, I don't think it's so clear-cut. There are some there are some absolute studs in this year's draft with James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, Obi Toppin. All these players are guys that could eventually go for that number one pick. Um, what how the order is going to go, I'm not sure, but it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, this is not like a draft we've seen before where there's a Zion or R.J. Barrett, and, you know, where you know the top few guys are really you, you know they're going one two three. I think the top guys in this draft are all you know interchangeable. I think Lamella Ball provides a lot of star power, is and everybody knows who he is and <laughs> Right, uh, since this kid was fifteen or sixteen, exactly, right? Exactly. A team would love to have him just to say, you know, we have Lamella Ball to get a lot of fans to the game. But as far as my number one pick, um, I think I would go with Obi Toppin if I was a GM. His ceiling has just shown to just keep growing. As a player, he's grown exponentially. Um, his size is awesome. He'd be great at the NBA level. He can guard, um, getting ball screens. He can step out and shoot, and especially as a big at the NBA level, you got to be able to step out and shoot it a little bit. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to see this year's NBA draft, but um, there are for sure some dudes in there who could all deserve that number one pick. Yeah, this year, I'm going to be excited, you know, in, in five or six or seven years or so, just to see, just to look back and look at this NBA draft class and just to see who is on their way to, you know, superstar yeah. status and who exactly. kind of didn't really pan out in the NBA. Exactly. Um, kind of like Cole said, just there's there's a lot a lot of parity with these, you know, three, four, five top draft picks. And, and like he said, they're interchangeable. And so it's tough to be a GM during this draft with the number one pick just because you're not, you know, your job isn't easy like it has been in, in exactly. past years. And I think, like what you said, we'll look down the road three years from now and we'll see 
the eighth pick in this year's NBA draft is the best player that turned out. And you get that with a lot of NBA drafts, but I think uh, this year there's a lot more variability in what we're going to see from these players. Um, yeah, kind of switching over to the NBA, do you, do you have any thoughts on the two series right now? So it's it's Lakers-Nuggets, and obviously Lakers are up 2-0. They're playing tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, by the way. And then uh, the other series is, is Boston, and um, who's Boston playing again? The Heat. The Heat, yeah, that's right. Miami's up 2-1. Um, that's been a fun series, too. So any thoughts on those two series going on right now in the NBA? <laughs> For sure. Well, before I talk about it, I want to give a little disclaimer that I'm an ultimate LeBron James fan. <laughs> He's the best basketball player ever. I love everything he does on the court. Um, so for that series, you know, I think the Lakers are going to win in five at most. You know, I think Denver might get one. They almost got one last night. But I think the Lakers are just too big and just too good for the Nuggets. Anthony Davis is unreal. LeBron James, stud. And then you got a whole bunch of good role players. Like you said in an earlier podcast, Dwight Howard is playing and JaVel McGee are playing better than they have for the past few years. And then you got Rondo back out on the court who looks like he just signed with the Celtics. Yeah, it's playoff unreal. Rondo, right? Exactly. He's been balling. So I think, you know, the Lakers are going to win that one. But on the other side of the Eastern Conference with uh, Miami and Boston, it's uh, pretty intense over there, 2-1 right now. Uh, but I think the Celtics can claw their way back for sure. They're young. They got a lot of talent. Um, but it's hard to compete with that Miami Heat team. They shoot the three so well with Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Duncan Robinson. Can just If they get hot from three, you know, it's hard to contain them. And I think that's where they've really had their success in the past few games. And Eric Spolstra does an unreal job of getting those guys to play hard. I mean, every cut they have to the basket is a scoring cut. They're not out there running their offense with a high ball screen like you see so many NBA team run and then just dish it off for the first open shot. I mean, they're running continuity, cutting to the basket, and getting a lot of good looks. So you have that with the Heat, but there's undeniable talent, too, on the Celtics, young talent that can really play. So I'd like to see how the series turns out but I think the Heat might walk away with this one yeah I mean that that Eastern Conference is very exciting right now just with with Miami obviously they got some young talent too and just led by um Jimmy Butler he's been playing like a superstar so far in these playoffs he's he's the undeniable leader of this team um just a dog on the defensive end he's been really fun to watch and then yeah I think Dragic has been playing really great and then um Let's see, yeah, Harrow and then Robinson are just shooting lights out, so they've been they've been really fun. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, too, the Celtics, just so much young talent. With, around that shooting guard position and the forward position, just with um, Tatum and then Kemba and then um, who's their other Jaylen young guy? Jalen Brown. Right, and this team, they're going to be a problem for years to come just because they're so young and they're so talented at, at some of those positions. Um yeah, guys, I'm not surprised to hear Cole say that he's a big-time LeBron fan. A lot of times these days with people kind of mine and Cole's age, is we, are, we are people who haven't necessarily watched Michael Jordan play in his prime, obviously. We're a little bit too young for that. And so we've kind of just seen these highlights, and then we've been watching LeBron just be dominant for the past 12 or 13 years of his career. And it's like, how could we not say that LeBron is, is the best? Absolutely. And I'm... I'm in that category with with Cole too. I'm I'm a big time LeBron fan. I'm not gonna get super into who's who's better at this point because I just don't know. But I mean, LeBron is he's spectacular to watch. Yeah, but that that Lakers series, I'd be surprised if that went six. I can see I can see um let's see Denver winning a game and making it go five. But I would not be surprised if Lakers swept them. I would be surprised if that one went six. I can see the Lakers kind of closing yeah. it down, not really playing with their food, so at, to speak. At the same time, I can't, I can't sleep on them completely. From what they did to the Clippers, you know, I thought the Clippers were going to walk away with that one in five two before the first game, um, but Nuggets ended up walking away. Yeah. So, man, you said it about the Clippers. Kind of <laughs> talk to me. What do you think happened with them? Just this ultra talented team that sort of. All year long, everybody was saying the Clippers, the Clippers, they are the best team in the NBA. And just to see them lose a 3-1 lead to, I mean, this isn't some like great all-time team, the Nuggets, who they blew the 3-1 lead to. It's, it's a 
good quality team in the Nuggets, but they're young and they're sort of unproven, and the Clippers just kind of blew that one. Yeah, so the first thing about the Clippers is everybody knew that they had massive offensive talent in Kawhi and uh, Paul George, Lou Williams off the bench, but they're also really good defensively. I mean, Paul George and Kawhi are probably regarded as the top two two-way players in the NBA, but the biggest thing why I think they went downhill is that team had no leadership at all. No None. leadership. And you compare that to the Nuggets, you see Nikola Jokic get interviewed after every post game, and all he talks about is how much the team bonds together, how much fun they have together out on the court. And you just didn't see that with the Clippers at all. And honestly, I don't know if it's a Doc Rivers thing because Doc Rivers has probably coached most talent in the NBA for modern-day coaches, um, and he just doesn't have really the hardware to show it. Yeah, I mean, when you look back to that Boston team from, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, they obviously won that title. But then he had some talented Clippers teams, too, in that Lob City era. And then, obviously, this Clippers team. Um, I've been hearing a lot of people kind of bag on Doc Rivers. It's kind of just really saying what you said is he's had some really talented teams with um, just a lack of playoff success that kind of goes to show for it. Yeah, it, it's tough because you want you want your best player to be undoubtedly um, your biggest leader on the team. And so when you have a guy like Kawhi, who's undoubtedly your best player, but he's so quiet and he doesn't really talk and he's not outspoken. I, I don't know what that does for your team. You're going to have to have some other guys step up. And obviously, it doesn't seem like at this point, Paul George is that guy. And then you have those other guys like Montrez and, and Lou Will. Um, I mean, doesn't really look like they stepped up into that leadership role. So I think you hit it the head on the nail, just a lack of leadership. And guys, the thing that bothered me most about the Clippers this season is that they came out like they were, you know, the 03 Lakers and they came out like they were the 2014 Heat or the 2019 Golden State Warriors. Like, they hadn't been to three, four straight finals like those other teams won a couple of them. And what you see with those other teams is is they've been to the finals. They have those um, those players. They have that leadership and the continuity and the chemistry with the players. So they kind of just walk through the regular season a little bit, yeah. and they don't care as much about it. And that's what you kind of saw with this Clippers team, except they haven't won anything, and this is a brand-new team. They just didn't really develop any chemistry all all season long. And that bothered me because you can't, pretend and walk through the season like you've won something and like you're this great championship level team when you haven't done anything absolutely and I think another example of the whole leadership idea is that you look at Kawhi last year on the Raptors and I think a lot of people would say that the Clippers are far more talented than the Raptors team who won the title last year however Lowry was an unreal leader. He was the leader of that team. He took command, and he made guys around him better and play hard. Now, given they did win the title playing a beaten-down, broken Warriors team, but they still made it through the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Clippers didn't even make it through the Western Conference Semifinals. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe the formula with Kawhi, if he's not going to step into that leadership role, is to have this sort of number two or, or secondary guy who's maybe the, the leader on, on the team and maybe Kawhi can just go get buckets. Um, but who knows, maybe he will step into that leadership role a little bit better in the future. Okay, so the overall landscape of the NBA, it it's pretty exciting for me to think about this coming season because you have those really good teams in the East who are young, like the Heat and the um, Celtics, young, talented teams. But then... You add another team in, in the Nets who are going to have Katie and Kyrie back healthy next year with their new um, sort of celebrity head coach, Steve Nash. And then you have, let's see, the Bucks are going to be right back at it. And then um, the Raptors are going to be right there again, talented and hungry as ever. So I think, I think the landscape of the NBA in the East is going to be really, really special. And then you look out in the West, and the West is, of course, extremely talented and you just have these young teams like the Nuggets and um, like the Jazz who are just going to keep growing and growing. And the Mavs, obviously, too, with Luka stepping up in that MVP type of player. And then you add in the Warriors again who are going to come back and make no doubt about it. Steph's going to come back with a vengeance after being out all this season and Clay too. I think, 
I think you're not really going to see a bunch of teams who were good this year. They're not going to fall off. And then you just add another two or three teams into the mix who are going to be really good. I think that's going to make for an extremely entertaining NBA season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think the Clippers are going to die down. You know, I think they're going to come back hungry. They're going to think back to the season and go, we really didn't meet the bar. Um, and so they're going to come back hungry. You know, you're going to have the Warriors too. The West is just going to be stacked like we've seen in the past couple of years. Um, hopefully they're out of a bubble by then. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hope this does not keep going on. Okay. And then one last question for Cole. I'm just thinking back to the NFL. Cole, I mean, obviously he's a big time basketball fan, basketball player, but he's just a sports fan in general. So I, I know Cole, as long as I've known him, he's been a ginormous Bears fan. And uh, the Bears are 2-0 and right now. That's very exciting. Um, if you ask me, I think when the Bears are good, that's good for the NFL. I do think that they have a situation at quarterback. And, and though, even though Trubisky played really good on Sunday, I, I don't know. I'm not completely bought in yet. And, I mean, they have Foles kind of breathing down his neck. What do you – what's your take on the Bears right now and their QB situation? Yeah, I'm not completely sold on Trubisky either. Um, he's got us 2-0, and so I can't complain. You know, they weren't the prettiest wins either. But sitting 2-0 and tied with the Packers for the NFC North is pretty big. Um. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just making sure that he performs. He's in his, what, third year now? Yeah, I third or fourth. Third or fourth year. Yeah. And, you know, you expect him to really step into a leadership role that your starting quarterback should and start playing a lot better. Um, as for the move to get Nick Foles, I don't – I think it was a good move. I think the team knew what they were doing. They kind of just said, hey, we have uh, – Super Bowl quarterback sitting on the bench and if you're not gonna perform you know we're gonna put him in there but you know maybe I would like to see a little Nick Foles this Sunday that kind of hurt um just to see what he does but you know I don't think they're gonna take that chance unless uh Mitchell Trubisky really starts going downhill which right now he's doing all right and you know, we're still not throwing the ball over the top as much, which, you know, you'd like to see, especially when you play the Packers twice a year and that's all they do. Aaron Rodgers sits back and slings that thing. But, uh, you know, all good so far. Who who do they have this next Sunday, do you know? The Falcons. The Falcons. Too, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Falcons, <laughs> man. I mean, they they find ways to lose games of course but they actually are a dangerous team just looking at the talent that they have on that squad i mean you heard me earlier in the podcast kind of um rag on the falcons a little bit but i mean they are talented nonetheless so that that very well could be a a fantastic football game to watch bears and falcons this upcoming sunday not even at the quarterback position i think we got a lot of talent in the backfield with three cone and uh, david montgomery i think those are two really talented backs who run really hard and, you know, Allen Robinson is obviously really good out of the wide receiver position. So, you know, we have the talent for Mitch Trubisky to be good if he wants to. But, you know, things got to start clicking. And so far, it's looked good, like I said. But we'll see. we got a lot of football left to play. Yeah, right. I mean, they're, they are very talented on offense. That defense, too, is scary. Guys, this defense isn't much different than than the one that we saw two years ago dominate and lead this team to the playoffs. So, I mean, they have the talent to, you know, win the division and and uh, make a big, big-time splash in the NFL. But, yeah, it kind of just depends on the quarterback position right now. So, um, but, I, guys, I think that's all that we have for you. Cole, do you have any, any other thoughts? Or? No, it was awesome. Thanks for having me on the pod. Yeah, absolutely. Cole, I, I mean, I knew I had to get Cole on the pod. Um, you know, I think this is week three of having guests um yeah i definitely had to get cole on the pod and uh he he might be making another guest appearance sometime in the future absolutely need to get on after uh, the nba playoffs and uh, when college basketball starts yeah as soon as yeah as soon as those playoffs end and we get the start of college ball we'll we'll be having cole on again so cole but thanks thanks for coming on again and it was awesome having you no problem appreciate it okay guys we're reaching close to the end of the podcast here today And you guys know what that means. We got the off the bench MVP coming in today. And guys, if you've been watching the Laker games, you know who this is. This off the bench podcast MVP is 
Alex Caruso. And if you guys have seen Alex Caruso, he looks like um, somebody that you might see at the Y. He is super pasty, super bald, and the dude absolutely flies. Oh my gosh, he's got some highlight reel dunks. He's an amazing defender. He is somebody who off the bench for the Lakers brings some energy. He moves the ball well. He can give you some scoring off the bench, and he is quite the athlete. Doesn't necessarily look the part, wears his headband, is super bald, kind of looks like he doesn't know what he's doing out there. He doesn't really look like the rest of the guys, but the dude is an amazing defender. You guys should have seen him earlier this postseason when he had to guard uh, CJ, Dame, Harden, Russ. He actually held his own on those guys. Those are some of the top scorers in the NBA, and he played really, really well. He's a top-tier defender in this league, a guy who's coming off the bench for the Lakers, gives them a little bit of a spark, and uh, you should see that Lakers bench. Whenever he goes up for a dunk, that Lakers bench gets really, really excited, as they should. This guy is 6'4 and absolutely flies to the rim. He's been fun to watch so far. So there you have it. We have Alex Caruso as our off-the-bench MVP for episode number four. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed this episode here today. It was awesome to have Cole on. He did such a good job. Just talking a little bit of NFL at the start. Let's see, 2-0 or 0-2. I like that segment. We might do that next week for 3-0 or 0-3. Hit me up in the DMs, guys, if you guys have special requests, certain topics that you guys want to talk about. If you guys want to come on the pod, definitely hit me up and say, Sean, I want to come on the pod. I would love to have you guys on. Definitely retweet it on social media. Definitely repost it, stuff like that. Give it a like on Spotify. That stuff is always fun. Tell your friends about it. But otherwise, guys, that's all I have for you today, and uh, I appreciate it. You guys have a good one.